All right, so we're in a series called Empowered to Grow. Empowered to Grow. This more, last time we talked about you are empowered to grow as people. Each of us are empowered to grow. God has given us the power to grow in every area of our life. Uh, turn this morning in your Bible to Ephesians chapter number 4. The book of Ephesus, better known as Ephesians chapter 4. And we're talking about growing families this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 11, the Bible says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come together to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to be a perfect, that means mature, to be a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. It says that we may grow up in all things. Not in one area of your life, but in all things. We see in the first book of the Bible in Genesis that God, once he created mankind, the very first thing he did after that was he made a family. He made a family. He took a rib from Adam, from within Adam. Everything was already in mankind there. Took a rib, made Eve. He said, it is not good that man should be alone. And he made a helpmeet for him. And so they were to work together and be a family. And then he said, be fruitful and multiply. Of course, they can't be fruitful and multiply unless they come together in an agreement. Amen. And so God commanded us there to be a family. And so family is important to God. I'll tell you, being a family, having children, it's, it's such a blessing. And I was talking earlier about the worship team and how it's uh, not an easy thing to come together and do that and, and, and volunteer for that. Uh, you know, a lot of people think that parenting is, is, is an easy thing. You know, parenting is not an easy thing. Uh, many people do it. We know it. But I tell you what, it takes some effort and it takes some work, doesn't it? You know, parenting is not something that you just wake up one day and you know how to do and you say, oh, here's a baby, yeah. And, uh, you know, I have a manual. I'll just follow the three steps. You know, as men, we don't follow the manual anyway, so it wouldn't do us much good. Uh, but, you know, we have the ten steps to being a good parent. But it is rewarding despite all of those things, amen. It is very rewarding to us. And, uh, you know, God commanded us. He said to be fruitful and multiply, amen. And our families are to grow. We're to grow as dads. 
We're to grow as moms, as husbands, as wives, as children, as parents together. God wants us to grow on unto full stature, unto maturity, unto perfection. Now, I've not seen a perfect family. Uh, maybe there's one out there. <laughs> you know, we hear, this, we hear this term, dysfunctional family, and I'm not sure uh, who that's for or what that means, but just about every family I've seen <laughs> has some type of dysfunction. Okay, you don't have to be a blended family to be dysfunctional. And I'm not speaking negative. I'm just saying that uh, there's challenges uh, to being a family. But it's natural to want to grow, and we need to grow as a family. What are we talking about when we say grow? Here's what I mean. Here's what I want to define, how I want to define the word grow. Grow means to become larger, greater over a period of time. Here it is, to increase. Becoming greater in quantity, size, extent, or intensity. In other words, growing means or it equates to increasing in some kind of way. If you are a good father, then there's room for you to be a great father. If you're a great father, there's room for you to be a doubly great father. (laughs) Right? Because God said we go from glory to glory to glory. If you're a great mom, there's room to move up. If you're a great husband, a great wife, whatever it is. Likewise, or conversely, if you're at the other end of the spectrum, if you've not been such a great dad, if you've not been such a great kid to your parents, there is room, yeah, I see you back there, there is room to grow. And it's not too late until we leave this earth and go to be with the Lord. There's always room and there's always time for us to grow. So we're talking about, we talked about growing people, we're talking this week about growing families, we'll talk uh, next time about growing community and then growing church. Here's one of the things that we must understand if we're going to get anything out of what God is sharing with us during this series of growing, empowered to grow. We must settle it in our heart, it must be settled, we must have a peace about this fact that increase And multiplication are God's way. It is the way that he does things. Increase and multiplication. I'm reminded of the parable over in Matthew. I think it's in chapter 23 or 25 about the talents. You know the parable where uh, the master went away. And actually the parable started out like this. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like. So he's comparing this thing to the kingdom of God. We're talking about the kingdom, all right? And he says it's like a master goes away and he gives one of his servants five talents, one of his servants three, one of them one. The one with five doubled it, the one with three doubled it, and the one with one buried his. So when the master came back, the one with five said, look, master, I have taken the five talents you've given me and I've invested them. Now here you have ten. And he said, "Good, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into my joy. And the one with three said, look, master, what I have done with the three talents you gave me. I have invested them, and now I have six. And he said, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter now into my joy. And the one with one said, look, master, I know that you are a hard man, and it's difficult to invest. I don't know about all these stocks and bonds and what to do and how to, you know, do all this thing. So what I did was I buried yours. This way, nobody would steal it. Nobody would take it. I wouldn't lose it. I knew where it was. And now here, take what is yours. The master said, you wicked, and listen to this word. 
He said, you wicked and lazy servant. You wicked and lazy servant. Give what you have to the one who has more. You wicked and lazy servant. If nothing else, this tells us that God expects increase. He expects us to grow. And so if you're a great person, if you're a great family, if you live in a great community or you have a great church, guess what? God expects you to grow. He doesn't expect you to stand still. He doesn't expect you to stay where you are. And so your family needs to grow. We're talking about the kingdom of the family this morning. Let's look at Matthew chapter 12. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. I want to share with you this morning the issue that the enemy will present us and which perhaps can try to prevent us from growing as a family. And by the way, it doesn't matter if you're, uh, you know, a dad and a mom and three kids or two and a half kids or whatever the, you know, the average American family is, or if you're a single mom, a single dad, whatever your situation is, God expects you to grow. There are no excuses. (laughs) Come on. God expects you to grow where you are. Matthew chapter 12, verse 25 says this. It says, but Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself it is brought to desolation and every city or house divided against itself will not stand a house divided against itself will not stand there was a sixth grade teacher I read this story a sixth grade teacher uh, in California wanted to do a creative writing project with her class So she thought and she decided, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give the children the beginning of a sentence and I'll ask them to finish this sentence. And she gave them these two words, I wish. I wish. Now I want you to finish that sentence. She expected to get her papers back and maybe the children would say, I wish I had a bicycle or I wish we could go to Kings Island, something like that. But out of the 30 students, 20 of the papers that she got back dealt with something to do with their family. They were something like, I wish that my mom and dad didn't fight and argue. I wish that my father would come home. I wish that I could get straight A's in school, that way my father would be proud of me. They even got a couple of papers back. She got a couple of papers that said, I wish I had one mom and one dad so other kids wouldn't make fun of me. And so if you think that children don't care about the family, they do. If you think your children are just at a point where they can't wait to get out of the house and they're sick of the family and they can't wait to move away, somewhere down in their heart they are attached to the family and they love the family and they want to see the family successful. They want to be a part of it. They want that relationship. Family is important. It's important. Mother Teresa, when she received the Nobel Peace Prize, she was asked the question, and I thought she gave a pretty poignant answer, She was asked a question after she received the prize. They said, what can we do to promote world peace? What more can we do? You know what her answer was? She said simply, go home and love your family. Go home and love your family. Now that sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? 
Doesn't sound like a profound answer that Mother Teresa would give in Stockholm after she received the uh, Nobel Peace Prize. But Mother Teresa understood something. She understood that if there is peace in every family, world peace is no problem. World peace wouldn't be an issue if there were peace in every family. If we could have peace in the home, we could do world peace easily. There is no greater institution, folks, on the face of the earth than family. Family is great. Family is our rock. Family is where we can go. Family is where, uh, you know, when we mess up, when we trip up, uh, we can go and get encouragement. I remember playing uh, football when I was little. And I was, and when I say little, I mean little, you know, not just younger. I was little. I was the littlest guy on the team, you know, and uh, uh, because of my age. And I I would always play with guys who were bigger than me. And because of that, I had a big chip on my shoulder. And so the coach put me at running back. And, you know, every time I got the ball, I just, you know, I, I would scrounge and scrape, you know, uh, for two yards, three yards, whatever it is. But I remember playing football, and I remember my mom and dad could not come to all of my practices or all of my games because both of them worked. But we played a game one time in the high school stadium, the local high school stadium. It was big time, man. I mean, we played it Saturday night, and they had the lights on. It was at, you know, Walnut Ridge High School, you know, there in Columbus. Columbus, Ohio. I mean, it was big time, you know, and my mom came to that game. And I remember every time I got the ball, whether I would get the ball and fall down, I'd get up and look up at her to see what, what she would have to say. And she'd be going, that's right, go ahead, Michael, go, you know, and it just made me so, and it made me want to do better, you know, because you got that encouragement from your mom, your dad, your family, your sister, your brother. It means so much. Your family means so much. There was a survey taken by a couple of professors, one at the University of Tennessee, one at the University of Alabama. They, they did the survey. What they did was they wrote up an ad and they put it in the paper. They put this ad in 50 newspapers in 25 states across the country. And the ad said, <clears throat> if you live in a strong family, which you consider to be a strong family, please contact us. We know more about what makes families fail. We know what causes families to fail. But what we're looking for now is those strong families and what are those ingredients that cause families to be strong. They received over 3,000 responses. So at least there's 3,000 strong families, or at least they consider themselves to be strong in the country. And out of that, they came up with six things that kept repeating themselves over and over in each of the responses of what makes a family strong. By the way, it was not a Christian survey. Six things. If there was a model these these families had, it was family first. All of my priorities under the family, right? All of my energies under the umbrella of the family, the decisions I make, how does it affect my family? So dads and moms, when you get that $100 a week raise or you get an offer to move away, how does it affect your family? When you get an offer to move to, you know, uh, Los Angeles or Seattle or Florida to take on a new job, it's a great opportunity for you. How does it affect your family? Not saying you shouldn't do that, 
But you have to consider your family before you snatch your kids out of uh, school that they're in, before you take your family out of the church that you're rooted in and uproot and just move on a whim, how does it affect your family? That $100 a week raise that you get, how does that affect your family? Well, you say in a good way because it's more money. But do you have to work more hours? Do you go from working 40 hours a week to 80 hours a week? And at the end of the day, your kids care that you make money because they'd like for you to take them to get some ice cream and they want the latest video game it's true but I tell you what after you're not around for about six months they'll care a lot less about those video games and going to get ice cream without you than if you were simply there how do your decisions affect your family and so what I want to do this morning is just very briefly look at those six indicators of a strong family that they received from that survey, and I want to look at it in a biblical text, in a biblical light. Six indicators of a strong family. The number one indicator was simply this, commitment. It was simply a commitment to your family. You know, we live in a country now that has really lost the meaning of commitment. We really have. You know, working for a, a phone company, I remember when cell phones you know first came out and became popular and all of that kind of a thing and you know when they first came out uh what the what the cellular companies would do is they'd say all right we have this device and uh what we'll do though is we'll give the device to you you don't have to buy it we'll give it to you we just ask that you uh commit to us for two years do a two-year agreement with us so that you pay for the service of $45 or $59 or $109 or whatever your package is. Uh, pay that, uh, but you commit to us for two years, and we'll give you this $600 device for free. We'll just give it to you, and then you just commit to us. So we had to do that. But, you know, people really don't like that. Even though they get the device for free, they really don't like the commitment. And so companies started changing up. Okay, well, we'll just make you do a one-year commitment. And then now they come out with the next plan where you just have to keep it for 18 months or 12 months or whatever it is and you can, you can automatically upgrade to next. And now there's so many that you don't have to do anything. You, don't have to, you commit for one month and that's it. And I think it speaks to how our society just shies away from commitment. We just don't like to commit. You know, I mean, what if our relationships were like that? What if our, uh, you know, marriages were like that? <laughs> really, they, a lot of them are like that, aren't they, Sister Jody? You know, I'll, I'll take her for a little while. If I don't like it in six months, I'll just give her back. I'll just give him back. If he isn't what I thought he was, I'll just give him back. We don't like to commit. But I want to tell you, God is a God of commitment. He really is. In 1979, there was a, a, a sociologist, his name was Robert Bella, and he conducted extensive interviews on what was called habits of the heart and how they define the average American. Many that he, that he interviewed had no sense of community or social obligation. In other words, I don't feel any obligation to my community. I don't feel any social obligation to do the right thing to help others. If I see someone in need, I'm not obligated to do that. They, they saw the world as a fragmented place of choice and freedoms that yielded little meaning or little comfort. They even seemed to have lost the language to express commitment to anything besides themselves. 
And he called this phenomenon an ontological individualism. You say, well, what does that mean? Really what that is is the belief that the individual is the only source of meaning. That I am the only source of my meaning. I think that's a shame. Because I believe that God set it up that our family is the source of our meaning. Your family really defines who you are. God defines who you are and your family, the family that you're in. He set you in that family for a purpose. This is why names mean so much in the Bible. They just didn't name their children anything willy-nilly. They meant something. Your last name means something. You're part of something. You're part, you have pedigree. You're part of a family. Think about kings in the Bible. You couldn't become a king unless that you were in that family line. Family means something, folks. We must understand that God created us in a way that we get true meaning from our family. We must be committed to that. God is a God of commitment. Listen, he said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am committed to you. No matter how bad you mess up, I am committed to you. He didn't say, well, I'm committed to you if it doesn't rain or if my pinky toe's not hurting you know, or something like that. He he said, I am committed to you. And he showed it to us on the cross, didn't he? Here's what commitment to family brings us. It brings us a strong sense of being a team. We're not in it by ourselves. We're a team. It's family first. It brings us an identity, a family identity. A family's identity is expressed in your family values, your goals, your vision. Some families have a mission statement. Why are we here as a family? Why do we get married? Is it just something we do or does God have a purpose for us? Yes, God has a purpose for you and your family. He has a purpose for you. And family unity. Here's how you can be unified as a family. You must first communicate. You must listen to one another. What you can do is share household responsibilities right? Sign specific chores, as my wife has. You know, she separated our house into zones. You know, you got zone one, you got zone two, that's your responsibility. <laughs> Establish some routines in your family. You know, do some things together. Seek some spiritual experiences together as a family, not just alone. And have fun together. Go for ice cream together. Have a family night. You know, we've tried to do that. We've tried to have a family night. One night where we try not to plan everything else. We know life gets in the way. That's a popular saying. We know that happens sometimes with all the things in school and this and that and church and all the things that we do. But try to establish a family night where you just do some, some things with your family, with your children, with your husband, with your sister, with whoever it is that's in your family, even if you don't live together. Get together once a week, once a month. And do something. Have some fun together. Have a sense of community in your family. Stay together. Have some commitment. Number two on those same, along the same lines is time together. Spend time together. 1,500 children were asked, what do you think makes a family happy? And you know they didn't list money or cars or fine homes. They replied, doing things together. 
That's what makes a family happy. Members of a strong family agree. And when they spend lots of time together, working, working around the yard, doing projects together, playing, attending church together, eating meals together, they are so much more fulfilled. What you do is as important, they say, as actually doing it. Because you're doing it together. Just as long as we're doing it together. What about quality time versus quantity time? People will argue those. You know, you need quantity time. No, you need quality time. I believe that you need both. There's instances where you need both. Quantity time is a time where you spend together waiting for a magic moment. Not that a magic moment, you know, just happens sometimes automatically, but if you spend so much time together, sooner or later, you'll have some magic moments together. Sooner or later. That doesn't mean you just sit waiting, but it means that you spend enough time and it'll come. You'll share it together. Strong families realize that they need to spend time together. Quality time means that you share good moments with your family. You know, I think a lot of times we were blessed, you know, on this last uh, trip that my wife was able to go with me. But, you know, I think of times that we've gone before, you know, with uh, Pastor and Brother Jeff and Keith and, and some others. And we've gone and, you know, one of the things that has gone over in my mind when we're over there doing things and we have a great service or whatever it is that we have, you know, I always think, oh, man, I can't wait to tell Dietra, you know, about what happened over here or this person did that or that person, you know, got healed or we prayed for that one or, you know, this great young couple or whatever it is. I always think, man, I can't wait to tell her what's going on. You know why? Because she's who I'm connected to. My family is who I'm connected to. It should be first on my mind. A working mother once wrote, to excuse myself for spending so little time with my daughter by saying it was only 15 minutes but it was high quality is a cop-out. Don't make excuses for the little time that you spend with your family. See, quality time sometimes can be a cop-out. We need quality time. We absolutely need that. But we can't use it as an excuse. Yeah, I only spend 10 minutes a week, but it's absolutely quality time. Well, it's not enough. Your kids, sometimes your family sometimes just likes being around you, even if it's not quality. Even if it's not quality. What about appreciation? Number three, appreciation in the family. Feeling appreciated by others is one of the most basic of human needs. Feeling appreciated by your family is germane to family and individual growth. It absolutely means everything to family growth. Feeling appreciated by your family. We're talking about continual verbal appreciation. Lifting up every family member. Lift each one up. You know, Jesus spoke to the disciples. Uh, he spoke to them to, as to who they were going to become. And when he spoke to some of them, he spoke to them, they were a mess. <laughs> Come on, he spoke to some of them, they didn't look like they would become anything. I mean, Peter was gruff, you know, making mistakes. A couple of them wanted to bring fire from heaven and burn everybody up, right? I mean, he had, a, he had some characters. But when he spoke to them, he spoke their future to them. Speak your future to your family, 
to your spouse, to your children, to your sister, brother, whatever it is, even to your parents. Speak life. Come on. We belong to the life church. Speak life to your family. Appreciation means that you value someone or you treasure them. What about communication? Oh boy, you know what? We could go for weeks just on this subject here, couldn't we? Well, I need probably about 10 counseling sessions with Jody on communication. We could go forever on communication. We really could. Communication is important in a family. <laughs> Strong families emphasize that good communication doesn't necessarily just happen. It takes work. It takes time. It takes practice. Good communication means clear, clearing up misunderstandings. Strong families work at explaining one another's messages back and forth. Good communication means that I'm making sure that you understand me as well as I'm making sure that I'm listening to understand what you're saying. Good communication is both ways. It's not just saying something and then it doesn't happen and say, well, I said it, you don't ever listen to me. Listen, good communication means I'm making sure that you understand what I'm saying. Good communication means listening and not forming your answer before the other person gets their communication out of their mouth, like so many of us do. Come on, <laughs> right? Listening, what are you really saying? Good communication makes a strong family. Listening is as big a part of communication as talking. We must communicate to be a strong family. We're empowered to grow as families, folks. What about spiritual wellness? Number five, this is a good one, spiritual wellness. You know, there's a lot of families that go to church, save their Christians, Dad's a Christian, mom's a Christian, kids belong to the youth group. But every time mom has her spiritual experiences, you know, she's off by herself or she'll go to this thing. Every time dad uh, has his spiritual experiences, it's at the men's group or it's somewhere else. And, you know, he really, uh, you know, met God and all of that. Uh, but it was never together. And if you're going to have a strong family, we need to have those spiritual experiences together. We need to pray together. We need to experience some things together as a family. Spiritual uh, wellness means that strong families literally practice what they preach. <laughs> Our family, one participant wrote, I heard that over there. Our family, one participant wrote, has certain values. Said their family has certain values. Values like honesty, responsibility. Uh, just to name a few, but they have to practice what they preach in everyday life. You see, I can talk honesty to my children and cheat on my income tax return, and they see that. You don't think your kids see stuff like that? I can't yell responsibility and then turn my back on my neighbor who needs help. I'd know I was a hypocrite, and so would the rest of my family. And so we must have a spiritual wellness to be a strong family. Lastly, listen, and this is an important one. What about coping with crisis? Coping with crisis together. Strong families are not without problems. 
But listen, they have the ability to surmount life's inevitable challenges when they arise. Strong families don't separate when challenges come. Strong families come together. They form a bond. They form a shield. They raise a standard. They say, we're going to get through this thing together. Whatever happens, we're going to lock arms. We're going to join hands. We're the Carters. Come on. We're going to join together, and we're going to get through this thing together. All strong families know a healthy family is a place where we enter for comfort, development, regeneration, a place from which we go forth renewed and charged with power of positive living. As one woman said, I put my love into my family as an investment in their future, my future, our future. It is the best investment that I could ever make. See, strong families bring security to your life. Let's look at that word secure. Secure, S, spend time together. Helps your family be secure. E, express positive thoughts together. Speak life over your family. You know, I was, I was reading something. There's a, a man, Bill Blass. Some of you may have heard of him, and he is an evangelist, and he does a lot of his work in prisons. And he said that as he talked to, to prisoners, about 90% of the prisoners that he talked to said that uh, in their childhood, at some point in their childhood, they were told by their parent or their parents that they would be in jail one day. Yeah, their parents said, you know what, you, you're, going, you're going to jail one day. Guess what? Prophecy fulfilled. Be careful what you speak over your fa family. See, constant discipline. Discipline isn't a bad thing, folks. A child abuse is a bad thing. You know, abuse is a bad thing, period. Mental, any type of abuse is a bad thing. Discipline is not that. Have constant discipline in your family. And then constant discipline doesn't just mean parents to children. That's what you think. Constant discipline also means self-discipline. Hmm. Come on now. Discipline yourself. <laughs> what about you? Unite in a crisis. Come together. Don't split apart. R, recognize each person's value. Everybody in your family is valuable, right? Even the one you call the black sheep. E, encourage daily. Encouragement is the fertilizer of a family. I was thinking about this family. I, 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 read, I read this story, and I wish I would have, have written it down uh, to, that I could, uh, you know, quote it exactly. But I was listening or reading actually about this family who uh, the, the uncle in the family uh, actually was on death row. Uh, he, was, he was going to the electric chair. Uh, for murder. And then they were doing this family tree. And uh, what they said, well, Dad, we have this uncle uh, who's on death row. So they said, we, really, we want to, you know, as we do this family tree, we kind of want to paint him in a positive light some kind of way. And how can we do this? We're doing our family tree, and we want to present it and put it up there. And, but we got this uncle. So they, you know, so they just decided to change some things around. As they, they talked about everybody and what they did, when they got to him, you know, they said, well, Bill, uh, he does some important electrical work for the government, you know, and, uh, you know, things like that. So they, they kind of dressed it up. <laughs> 
Listen, I'm not saying that we need to lie about our family, but what I am telling you is your family is important. You know, when you're talking to others about your family, don't put them down. Speak life. Bring them up. I'll tell you, we will have a great church if we have great families. We'll have a great community if we have great families and great churches. This will be a great city if we have great families, great churches, and a great community. What a state Indiana would be if we had great churches. Come on. Great communities, great cities. What a country, what a world we would live in. Mother Teresa was right. It starts with the family, doesn't it?